following resource is presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to the Identity Matters podcast. We're very excited about uh, sharing with you some of the most profound but yet simple truths that are available from the Word of God. Okay, seeking. Let's do that because it's it's a it's a big one. Here's what Galatians 6, 7, and 8 tells us about seeking forgiveness. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this is what he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. Now these diagrams coming up are just going to clearly show you that in a very, very quick and simple way. But it is, it's... Jesus was so profoundly complicated, God the Father had to set him up to be a very simple man. I mean, there is no answer or question that you can ask him that he does not have the answer to, right? The finest little details. Can you imagine? God, I'm just curious here. Could you tell me what the farthest star is out there in the universe and what the size of it is and exactly what the expanse space is? And, and he would rattle it off. And it'd be nothing. Could you tell me exactly what King David was struggling with and what his robe looked like, what color it was? Did he have like purple little rings around it when he was in his first year of of reigning as king, and he'd tell you, there's nothing he does not know. And that is kept from him except for one thing. You guys remember what it is? The day of his return. And that is a significant thing. I'm not afraid to sit there in my chair and go, Lord, I got another quirky. I'll throw it out there. Sometimes it's just silence, which I definitely interpret as sitting the time for that. And then there's other times he begins to speak, and you know, I start typing, and I'm like, You have got to be kidding me. This is just mind bending. And there's things that he will answer directly, and there's other things he's like, no, no, I'm not going to give the answer to that one. My trust is in the fact of what he is and what he can do. I cannot create aught by not trusting him with what his capacity is. 
But my real trust has to come in in trusting when he is released by his father to tell me what that information is, if ever. When that release takes place, there's action that's going to come with it. In the setting I just gave you, it could be, we're going to write an article, or this is going to be a book, or this is going to be in your message, or this is going to be nothing, this is just for you. Trusting the eternal Savior and husband is what we're going to have to have before we go knocking on someone's door. Because this is going to go bad. Rarely does it go the way it's supposed to go. Because of the bitterness that typically is encountered when the person goes down their list, when they start going down their list, it activates the memories in this person that they may not have talked to for 40 years. You see what I'm saying? Now that's floating around in the air. No one wants to really say anything about it, but we both know what it was. And that's why that list and focusing on that list becomes absolutely critical. I'm not here to deal with our old marriage. I'm not here to deal with, you know, whatever. I am here to go through this list of things I know that I know that I have done to hurt you. That's why I'm here. You know how the enemy does his thing and works through the five senses, pounds on the body to stop you from achieving God's will? You know that diagram that we covered? That's why I sent the text out to all of you saying 20% don't show up for whatever reason or drop out for whatever reason because I know how the enemy works. The enemy pushes on that body, pushes, 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 until there is constant reaction, until the person goes, I'm exhausted, I'm done, I'm finished, he wins. They don't get through the wall, and then it dissipates. That works spiritually. This is going to be a wall you're going to hit at this meeting, and you just don't quit. Just keep pushing it, slowly, respectfully, until you're through the wall, where the miracle is. And it is interesting in the scriptures how we find out that if someone really makes this affirmative, overly exaggerated confirmation of Jesus, I'm with you. But what did Jesus relate it to? Very simple thing. He said, Peter, do you love me? I thought that was a little weird. But I don't anymore. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Number three says, Peter, do you, do you love me? And the scripture says Peter became exasperated by the Lord. Duh. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. 
Mr. Self-Centered, I-Focus, Mimi, Gospel, Peter. Feed the sheep. Give her away. But see, he knew that he couldn't. Because he had not discovered his own betrayal. So goes the journey. And Peter did get it. He was a diehard in the end. Slap him, burn him, torture him, chain him up. You could shut that boy up. So that is tested and proven. Jesus knew that he was not going to let go of any of those disciples because everyone had been chosen by him. Jesus doesn't make bad choices. There was guaranteed success in every one of those disciples. And now their names are going to be written upon the 12 gates in the new Jerusalem. That's cool. But if you stand forgiving when someone does this kind of thing like Peter does, there's no warring, there's no issues, there's no time lapse, there's not running off to your prayer closet for seven days. It is just do this now. It's feed this sheep now. It's seize this moment. That is evidence that typically will demand proof, the test. Let's take a look at our first diagram here. Forgiveness requires blood. Now, I don't know if you know this, but DNA, identity, is in the blood. Identity being in the blood, when Jesus was shedding his blood for us, he was shedding his identity. His bloodline was of the Father. That's why he had to be birthed by a pure bloodline directly connected to David. Now, this pure identity, once it is appropriated and embraced and accepted, all the things that we've covered up to this point, you have the Trinity of the cross and you have each person, you know, your offender and offendee or both ways is actual reality. It's the blood that does the cleansing. So the way you say it is, it's the identity that does the cleansing. The songs that you sing about the blood of Jesus, if you're afraid to do it externally in your singing, do it in your mind and put identity instead of blood. There's identity, identity, identity in the Lord. Just put identity. DNA. And then we're grafted into DNA of Jesus. We're grafted into identity of Jesus. We're grafted into the pure bloodline of Jesus. It'll change the way you sing. It'll change the way that you live. The end result is there's got to be forgiveness going this way, this way, flowing through the cross, appropriating one thing 
and that is the, that the both become more secure in their identity of Jesus. We partake in the identity of Jesus. That's why we have new identities. We don't dream it up, study it up, memorize it, or go to school and get a degree about it. We just simply join in, grafted in to the identity of Jesus Christ. So into the flesh. That blue arrow there is just that constant choices of fighting or reacting or whatever your list is. Unforgiveness. And it's getting darker and darker through your life. So therefore, you're in your 30s now, and then you're in your 40s, and then you're in your 50s, and then you're in your 60s, and you're looking at the, it's getting darker, it's not getting lighter. I'm feeling more oppressed in my life. I'm not being released because this is what's going on. You're continuing to sow to those that field of lies. And then withdrawal, despair, anger, fears, anxiety, sleeplessness, obsessiveness, bad thoughts, abuse, guilt. It goes on and on and on. If you sow to the Spirit in the midst of darkness, and that's why we want those arrows to start in pitch black darkness. It's done by faith. There's no evidence that your sowing to the Spirit is working. In due time, these numbers that are in this graph can be hours, weeks, months, years, so that you understand You're not going to see quick results on this one. Sometimes you might. You keep sowing to the Spirit, sowing to the Spirit, sowing to the Spirit, reconciling past people, issues, whatever, as these things occur. And at sowing to the Spirit, pretty soon you're going to reap life. An orderly life, godly responses, loving others, mind of Christ, peace, freedom, no guilt, Confident in Him, Christ is life, peace with men, inner security, fruit of the Spirit, and forgiving, of course. We're spoiled as Americans. You talk about, right now, as we're sitting here, talking, sharing about these life-transforming truths, there's some 14-year-old over in Uganda being raped by a Muslim man who attempts in his order to destroy Christianity by destroying their daughters. And we're over here talking about fairly lighthearted things. They know what that looks like. Pray for abuse, persecution, distress, difficulties. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. It's embarrassing to have some of my pastor friends in some of these remote parts of the earth where I say, please teach me about persecution. Please show me what, what, what this, what do you do when someone is cutting your finger off with their pocket knife a little at a time? What do you do? Well, I got it in a diagram. 
Well, what does it look like? What, help me here. Because it's not our world. I cry over hangnails sometimes because I get proud. Flesh. It's a different world we live in. Here's where we want to go, of course, this whole seeking forgiveness where you got two brothers, two sisters, or whoever it is, and there is a full exchange going on in forgiveness going both ways. You end up getting reconciled and you end up having unity in the spirit and in the relationship. Now that's ideal for two brothers extending and receiving forgiveness and letting Christ loop all the way through those, that relationship. It's awesome. And that's what we pray and hope for in every single reconciliation. This list also has to be studied on seeking forgiveness. And those, those items, those specifics, you need to read very carefully and study very carefully because if one is not followed, when you follow the one above it, the whole thing can go haywire. Like saying, forgetting to say, I was wrong. Or saying something that left them with the impression because of what you, you did, remember when you did that? Well, I was wrong for reacting by whatever. There is no mentioning of their sin, weaknesses, or personal trials. It's this one single mission. I did this to you. And I would like to know if you would forgive me. You need to hope for no. If they're unsaved, hope for no. Hope for silence. Hope for nothingness. But if they are an indwell believer, if they say yes back to you, you have the diagram I just showed you. That's full reconciliation. That's awesome stuff. And if they want to share their sin list after you're done, that's fine. At the end, but we're not going to interrupt this of what I need to do. You are another day. I must complete this list. So rebuilding relationships can oftentimes be very trying. And there are very specific things under the offender, the offended, and then both of them. The picture of Dr. Solomon and I are put in the middle of this diagram for a reason. Dr. Solomon is very dear to me, very dear. We have also been to the gates of hell together. We have passed many tests in our relationship, and we're getting the blessings today because of it. But there was periods I went through over the 30 plus years, almost 40 now with him. Right? I didn't like him at all. That was because of my immaturity and manurity versus 
He had wisdom that I had not yet obtained because of life, and I didn't get it. I didn't get the authority piece in discipleship. I served and was a great student in discipleship when I decided to be. But when I decided not to, I wasn't. So we went through this reconciliation time in Phoenix. And after we're done with this reconciliation time, we literally talked about unifying and blending the two ministries. It just naturally started going that way. And talking about the legacy, and who does I go to? And so I understand that now. You know, you're tougher on your, on your main disciple. And I had to go through this extending forgiveness of him and going to him and seeking forgiveness and got a little biff because I wasn't getting a lot of that back. And then I really got set free because I found more joy in him not going through any lists with me. I just wanted us to be father-son and that either one of us are led to get things checked out again and we just do it. And that's what we have today. I'm going to miss the old guy. And the email I got at break time from him you know, it was kind of what I had been contemplating since he's gotten out of the hospital. He kind of just said it. I think he knows how I think. I think he knows what I'm struggling with right now. The title of his email was what I was thinking. Well, you go like, how does that happen? He's my dad. I know him. And he knows me. And it's because we have this that you're looking at. But it came with a lot of pain. But boy, I cannot tell you how thankful I am. Betrayal is wicked. And there were moments where it would have been easy to do that. And the respect and honor would always rise above it. And now, an email comes in, and I'm on it. I don't care what it is. You have your relationships that maybe need to be straightened out that are crooked. I have mine. The key component here, which is really our bottom line in this whole thing, is that, you know, we have to come to grips with our things that we have done or been thinking or whatever, that is certainly not going to make it to heaven. Those are called sins. Bitterness will never get into heaven, will it? Anger used to hurt people. It's never going to get into heaven. So those are the things you write down. And I'd be more than willing to help you sort through those lists and put the subcategories together so that you can literally sit down with a person who has hurt you 40 years ago and still get the benefits out of it because they're still alive. 
Why not send them to their grave with peace instead of something else? There's a gift in that one. There's a reward on the other side of that one. Or maybe you'd just rather go to your grave a bitter old person. I'm big about graves, as you know, and I'm very big about tombstones. The wheel line, I mean, it's already designed for Jane and I. All the words are done. It's a beautiful stone. And it has the wheel in line on the front of the stone. With Galatians 2.20, and on the back, a quick description of what Jane and I believe for our entire lives about the exchanged life. You know, you think about $125 billion made off of Jesus' death, just with tours, paraphernalia. I'm like, I'm going to put a message on mine. Obviously not going to get those kinds of numbers, but when I have my great-great-grandchildren standing there, if that's even going to happen, I, I want one of them to go, Daddy, what's, what's, what's that picture? And hopefully that father will be able to explain it. Well, see the circle is the triune of a man, that's his body, his soul, his spirit, and that little circle in the middle is Jesus Christ. That arrow going into the tomb is because we died with Christ. Do you see what could happen out of death? Versus someone who goes, well, I'm gone. Oh, well, that's so selfish it makes me sick. I won't have to worry about that after I'm gone. That's the epitome of selfishness. Why not use everything to advance the indwelling life of Jesus? And you know that your great-grandchildren are going to visit your gravesite. Make use of it. Jesus did. If we stand forgiving, we're going to walk seeking. That's all you got to remember. But if you're not standing forgiving, you're not going to go seeking out to leave an eternal message with your generations. So therefore, you get into this reaction thing, you'll go to your grave with no memories of victory or passing on this victorious message to future generations. That's sad. To get people to hate you in your death is better than loving you in your life. That's where Jesus is right now. They hate him in his death, even though he's really alive. It's gotten worse, not better. And that was a part of the mission. Why? So he can continue to say, I forgive you. Father, he didn't know what he was doing. He's here at the altar. Let it go. Forgive him. Of course, that will require going through the eye of the tree. Powerful stuff. 
Seeking forgiveness is the process of going to an individual whom you have already, by action or reaction, seeking their forgiveness and restoring the relationship when possible. Once the believer has extended forgiveness before God, it's not before the person, you never walk up to a person, ever walk up to a person and say, I forgive you. Because it communicates the most arrogant thing any human could ever do. I am Jesus and I have forgiven you. Well, see, what they're doing is wanting dialogue. It's not how it works. You extend forgiveness before God. He frees you. So you don't have to bring up their ought. So when you see them, there's nothing there about, oh, by the way, I've already forgiven you for abusing me. Just want you to know that before we get started. That's arrogance. I would never reconcile that way. Because it's just going to get worse. It requires of a letting go during the extending, and it's letting it go. It's gone as far as the east is from the west. Where'd that baby go, Jesus? I'd like come bring it up once in a while. It's gone. You've been listening to Identity Matters Podcast. We appreciate having you join us today. Feel free to log on to our website at www.iomamerica.org. We have lots of resources available for you on the believer's identity in Christ. Again, thank you for joining us.